1 Samuel chapter 1, and um, I've entitled this message, The Mother's God. This is a, a Mother's Day message for all of us as we uh, look at one of my favorite mothers in all of the Bible, Hannah. <laughs> this part of the Bible had a real impact on me when I was younger. I would read and reread the stories of Samson from the book of Judges and then Ruth. And then on into 1 Samuel, where I'd read about Samuel and David. And the more I read about it, the more I became fascinated by the God who empowered them, the God who encouraged them, the God who provided for them. One of the things that stood out to me as I read uh, growing up and as I read it now is that in this passage and passages in, in this, this part of the Bible, God actually works in these lives. God is actually evident, especially in Samuel, as we see today. And so much of my biblical knowledge was built upon my interest in these parts of the Bible. I remember growing up and, and thinking uh, how impressed I was with, with the way God worked in this story specifically. In this chapter, we're introduced to a woman who's in a really bad spot. She's childless. At a time when having children was a sign of divine blessing. She's a part of a, of a marriage that includes another woman. And this other woman finds great pleasure in rubbing Hannah's face in the fact that she's childless. And she has a husband who just can't seem to make things right for her. In this story, she's misunderstood at every turn. And yet we will see that she is right where God has chosen for her to be. And this is a great theme for us as we celebrate our mothers. Mothers, who's la those ladies who find themselves in bad spots, struggling with all kinds of things, being misunderstood, and yet always ever finding themselves right where God has chosen for them to be. This is a good passage. It starts in verse 1. There was a certain man of Reth Ramathiam, Zophin of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeraham, son of Elihu, son of Tahu, son of Zoph, an Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously, to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her, and therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? And after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, 
but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. And as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, but her, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. And therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. This morning, I want us to look at this mother's God. This morning, we will be looking at a section of God's revelation where he is actively preparing his people for his plan to take another dramatic leap forward toward his ultimate goal, the incarnation of his son. That's where this passage fits into the big picture. This passage sets the stage for us in that God is going to make himself heard by his people. Before this, in the book of Judges, the end of it says that there was no king in all of Israel, and so every man did what was right in his own eyes. God wasn't heard in the book of Judges. The people in the book of Judges closed their ears, and they rebelled, and they sinned. And God sent judgment, and then he sent a deliverer, and they repented, and he relented. But then they closed their ears, and they sinned. And rebelled, and God brought persecution, and then He sent a deliverer, and then they repented, and the cycle went on and on, over and over. And so, the story of the Old Testament up to this point is that God is still active, but His people are doing their own thing, His word is not bearing fruit. And we step into 1 Samuel chapter 1. And we're going to see that the story takes a, 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 a good turn. And there's three things that we're going to see in this passage about this God. First thing is that he is, he is a mother's source. You don't have to write that down. I wrote it down for you. But the first thing is that he is a mother's source. Her situation is completely a result of God. Look, look at this. It says in verse, um, in verse 5, it says, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And in verse six, it says, and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. There is not a better example of God's sovereignty in the whole Bible than right here. This is a fantastic picture. Everywhere in the Bible, God is the one who gives life. As we think about our children, as we think about this day, 
One of the most important things for us to grasp is that the source of all life comes from God. When we look at our children, we look at our home, we look at our circumstances, this kind of perspective ought to cause us to appreciate what God has done because God is the source of all motherhood. Children are a blessing from the Lord. These kids aren't an accident. In this passage, that's exactly what we can see. God is the one who provides children. In Hannah's life, he had closed her womb. At the end of the story, we see that it says in verse 19, the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And that comes from the Lord. God is the source. God is sovereign. This means over everything. God is the one who is in control. God is the one who brings all of these things about. Her situation is completely a result of God at work. What that means is, is that it means that even though her situation is brutally emotional, it is a result of God's choosing. God had closed her womb. God was the one that brought the circumstance about that she received the persecution. She received the, the rival's abuse. It was because God had brought that about. So much painful language in this story. Look at what it says in, in verse, um, verse 6. Her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Not only is the, the, the Lord the source of, of the babies that we'll see, or the, the baby that we'll see here coming, but God is also the source, the reason why she is being abused this way. In verse seven, so it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Even this circumstance, this emotional reality comes because of the position that God has placed her in. As a result of God's choice to close her womb, she experiences real pain. It's very important for us to realize that this morning. As we walk through the valley of the shadow, God placed us here. The Bible doesn't candy coat this kind of thing. The tremendous grief that Hannah is living in isn't a result of her sin or her mistakes or her ignorance. The way the Bible presents it is that God is the one who did this. Why? Why? The story that we have laid out before us gives us a great answer. As we see the, the way that God is working in and through this, we see his presence. We see her perspective, and it's such a helpful one to understand that as she goes through this, she recognizes that he is with her. All the way through this passage, her perspective is not on blaming God or get me out of this, but it is on, oh my goodness, God, I need you. And her situation isn't just painful, it's public. It's a public situation. 
And this is helpful for you and I because our suffering often is public. There's several kinds of people that surround her, right? Look at her rival. Her rival is lording it over her. Her her rival continues year after year after year after year after year after year. Her rival publicly and very, very proactively is abusing her in this situation. And her suffering continues to just grow. Her husband, Elkanah, he tried to console her. He tried to bless her. He knew all about her suffering. It was very evident, but even he couldn't touch it. As I read this, husbands, this is very helpful today, maybe as a lesson for us and how we we love these mothers, but he loved her. In her suffering, he loved her. He gave her a double portion, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Husbands, he also corrected her. I thought this was a really helpful thing. Is as she's going through this, he's, he's coming alongside and, and he's trying to help her see the reality of this. He's, he's helping to see the perspective for her and, and helps her out that way. And he stays with her. He stays with this woman who is so broken. She won't eat. She continues to weep. He takes her to the temple. He t- stays with her in the temple. He He goes after the temple. He continues to love her and pursue her. But her suffering is very public all the way through this. And it's all because God has brought her into this situation. Before we move on to the second thing, I'd like for us to see ourselves here for a second. Moms, I'd like to see you here. I'd like for you to see the reality of, and you know how to be a mom, and you know the circumstances in, in motherhood better than I ever would, but this picture here is a hard one. She seems alone. She feels like she's alone. And yet the reality is that God has placed her here in just this situation with just this suffering. Now the picture of this passage isn't that it's God's fault. That's not the point at all, because it's not. It's for you and I, Christians, to see that this is the way God works. This is how God uses life. In this world, you will face tribulation. That is a principle that you and I need to embrace. We will suffer. We will go through this kind of abuse and persecution. Whether it's because of our fault or somebody else's fault, this is what life is like. We're not greater than our master. And it's important for each of us to understand today that it is God who is the source. But not only in this passage do we see the mother's source, we also see the mother's hope. Look at verse 11. In verse 11... There's a a subtle kind of twist to the story. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. And now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And then Hannah was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on your affliction, on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Her hope is in the Lord. Her hope is in God. God himself is her hope. 
She's been desperately broken by her situation. Her enemy has made a huge deal about her childlessness. Her heart has been crushed under the weight of her desire. But in this prayer, Hannah reveals that her hope is in his mercy and his loving kindness. She isn't asking for a son to make him an idol. That's where this story takes the twist. She doesn't just beg for a son as if she just wants another or a child just so that she can be a mom. I love the way she phrases this. She says, if you would remember me and not forget your servant, but give your servant a son, then I will give him to you. Her hope is in God. Her hope is that she would be able to give to the Lord the most precious thing that she can imagine. That's her hope. That she could give to the worthy God everything that she has. Her focus is on the Lord. Her focus is on the real way that God could work. Look at the intensity of this hope. Look in verse 12. It says, as she continued to pray, so much so that Eli notices. Look at verse 13. She was pleading in her heart, so much so that Eli thought she was intoxicated. In verse 15, she is pouring her heart out to the Lord. Think about that. Her heart is so full and she's just pouring it all out because he is her hope. And in verse 16, her anxiety and her vexation are great. She is physically engaged in expressing the hope that she has with God. Why? Because this God, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he is her hope. Rather than continuing to get depressed and despondent, her hope is becoming more and more agitated. She's not withdrawing within herself. She's expressing herself. She's turning to the Lord in a powerful way. And the point in this passage isn't that that it would give us a strategy for how to get God to answer our, our questions. But the point is for us to see God the way Hannah does. This is a great God. This is a God worthy of approaching. This is a God worthy of asking the hardest questions of. Give me a son. There is nobody who can answer that prayer other than God Almighty. This God is the mother's hope. God does what he wills when he wills. But this story gives us a snapshot of how to look at God how to direct our thoughts and emotions toward God in a way that is pleasing, regardless of how he responds. God, this is who you are. This is what I need. What a great picture. God is a mother's hope. And he's a mother's provider. He's a mother's provider. This story is so precious. Her situation reveals the object of her faith in verse 18 and 19. Eli sees and hears and he says, go in peace. The God of Israel grant your petition that you have made. And look at verse 18. She said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. God is at work. He hasn't given her the son yet. 
She cannot give him back to the Lord yet, but she returns to her normal life, eating, enjoying, getting out of bed early, worshiping with her husband. Why? Because God is the provider. God is the provider. This is such a truth. She heard the words from the man of God. Faith comes by hearing. And now she has hope. Man, for you and I, we're in the same situation. We don't have Eli speaking to us. We have Christ. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. We have his word here. Faith comes by hearing the words of Christ. It doesn't matter the, the agony. It doesn't matter the abuse. It doesn't matter the despair. It doesn't matter the depression. It doesn't matter the circumstances. God is greater. God is the provider. I love the picture of this, that she heard this promise and it changed her life. I wonder how often you and I miss the enormity of this kind of thing when we are trying to help others. When we are faced with this kind of situation, we have to give hope. Why? Because God provides. Our response in these situations need to be hopeful. Why? Because God provides. And God is a mother's provider. And God did provide. As we, as we finish out this passage, it's, it's helpful to notice in verse 20 that he did. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. God did provide. God remembered Hannah so that his word would be proclaimed to the nation of Israel and that through them it would be proclaimed to the nations and that throughout history it would be proclaimed for you and I. We are a direct link to this passage because of the work of God in Hannah's life. God did provide for you and for me today through his answer to Hannah. I have a question here. Where do I see Christ here? I see Christ in Samuel. He is someone who shows us what the true prophet of God will look like. God brings his word through the tragic everyday suffering of Hannah. And God brings his word through the suffering of Christ. What kind of impact will God's word have on our community as he chooses to cause us to experience the same kinds of suffering? I would like for you to think about that this morning because that's the real perspective. The message of the gospel of Christ came through Hannah's suffering. God chose to place her there and bring this upon her so that his word would bear fruit in and through her life so that he could speak through her. Instead of looking around at these things that cause us to weaken, to stumble, we need to look at them as opportunities for God's word to be proclaimed into the lives that are watching as we walk in the footsteps of our faith in Christ. The painful relationships that you're dealing with have been placed in your lives so that you would be forced to look to the one who is your hope. The desperation and agony that we experience leads us to a wholesome worship of the one who is the source of all life. He's not just 
the source of mothers. He is the source of life. He is not just the mother's hope. He's our hope. And he's not just a mother's provider. He's our provider. And our lives will look like this. In this world, you will face tribulation. We need to expect it. There's a lot of the gospel here. I think of the picture of the resurrection. Death, a dead womb. A womb that is empty and lifeless. God sovereignly bringing life from it. That's the gospel. God had closed the womb. God was the one who opened it. This truth is for you and I today. This truth is exactly what we need. We are amongst a people who are walking dead. They're dead in their trespasses and in their sins. And they need the God who brings life. I think maybe today you might be suffering in a way that is impossible to explain. Where do you turn? I want to say to you that you turn to Christ. The one who suffered more than any other human being that ever existed. First, you need to get your heart right. Hannah serves as an example. Turning your eyes off of your situation and looking to Jesus Christ. Not to consider those other things in your life that are tearing you down, but to turn to Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to experience the power of the resurrection. Your life may be dead. But you can live if you'll come to Christ. Turn to the God who is life. Church, this story is a great example for us on how to look to our Savior and Shepherd. We need to be emotional. We need to be emotional. We need to be passionate. We need to be active in our pursuit and our devotion. We need to stop just going through life, but we need to turn to God. I read this morning in in the Gospel of Luke that the fields out here are white for harvest. Pray that God would send workers. There's a passion that Christ has in those words. You and I need to have a passion, a devotion, an angst for the things of the Lord. It needs to hit us here. We need to be willing to suffer with Christ. We need to stop spending so much time trying to avoid it. We need to stop spending so much time thinking of ways to get out of suffering and embrace where God has us. So much of our bitterness, so much of our depression, so much of our despair comes because we're not embracing that God has us here. We're not living like Christians. We need to embrace it. Church, we need to have a hope for the future. This is not where the story ends. Christ is coming. Christ is coming. He's coming to take us so that where he is, we will also be with him forever. We need to live like that. So much of our life is distracted by all of the failures and all of the hopelessness because we can't see past this moment. 
All of the things that go on in our mind, creating pictures and, and scenarios and all this stuff, we need to throw that away and we need to hope in one thing, the hope of a mother, God, who will keep his promises. And we need to worship him. We need to worship him. Well, Steve, what does that mean? We come to church on Sunday morning. Worship him means that we would focus on him. That we would scroll through his posts. It means that we would like the things that he likes. It means that we would click on the links that he has given us. Think of all of the time we spend doing all kinds of other things. It means, gentlemen, that we would prepare the equipment for the planting the way we prepare the equipment for our planting. It means we do all the research to find exactly what the right machinery is to do exactly what God has called us to do. All of the time that we spend investing in our business, in our lives, in, in our desires, in our passions. Take a second and look at all of that and then recognize that maybe we're just giving God a slight tip of the hat on a Sunday morning. That is not worship. I read this morning where a gentleman came up to the Lord and said, Lord, what is the great commandment? The greatest commandment is that we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. And we would love our neighbor as ourselves. Hannah worshiped with Elkanah before God answered her prayer. Before. She wasn't worshiping me as a result of holding this son. She was worshiping as a result of God's promise. God had made promise and she trusted in him and she worshiped. You and I have work to do. We are not seeing God the way he's revealed himself to us. We're not. We're refusing to do the all. We refuse to do it. Not knowing that that's rebellion. Not knowing that that's sin. That is wicked. We pass it off because we go to church on Sunday morning for an hour. God is worth more than that. God is worth all. We need to notice that our suffering, the way we act, the way we speak, the way we point to our hope, is all done in public as we do this, we are showing the world how worthy God is. Let us praise him. Let's pray. Good Lord Jesus, work in our souls today for your glory. Help our hearts and minds to turn to you, to long for you, to love you, to see of our need for you, and to praise you for Christ's sake. Amen.